<laughs> oh, it's great to see everybody today. If you have a Bible with you, uh, turn it to Galatians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be there, and Acts chapter 8 and 9, if you got a few fingers. Uh, but uh, Galatians chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning and you want to read along, uh, just uh, let us know. Dennis has got some, some Bibles here, and I could even give you the page number, 823, if you've got one of these guys. So 823. <coughs> All right. By the way, I wanted to let you know that uh, last week we had the $240 handstand. So uh, <laughs> we raised $240 for Team Spain because I stood on my head up in the back of the church here. So I was amazed that you, know, you guys want to see me do tricks like that. <laughs> Next week I'll be doing backflips across the front here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You'll be looking for a new pastor if I even attempt it. <laughs> oh, how's everybody doing? Good? Yeah? Sprinkling out there, huh? Every time I say it's raining out there, you all think I'm lying. I'm not lying. It, it happens from time to time. It actually does rain here from time to time. And uh, I saw those clouds this morning. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, just our church gathering together. I pray now that as we open up to uh, Paul and uh, his uh, writings here and some of the things he has to talk about, I pray you'd open up our hearts. God, you say that we don't live just on physical food or emotional affirmation, that there is a spiritual feeling deep within that we are called to have. And so, Jesus, I pray uh, that you would fill us this morning as we talk about a wonderful story. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk today about how does a terrorist become an evangelist. <clears throat> of all the conversion stories in the Bible, there's perhaps none more profound, none more uh, exciting or exhilarating than the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul was raised a Jew, trained as a rabbi, and soon became a violent persecutor of the early Christian church. He hated Christ and his followers so much that he did everything he could to eradicate it as if it were some sort of dreaded virus. We were the disease, and he saw himself as the antibiotic. He was a terrorist who did evil deeds in the name of God. So how does a terrorist become an evangelist? And after he becomes an evangelist, how does he become trustworthy enough where we even trust what he has to say? Well, Paul would give you a very easy answer. You tell your story, and then let that story speak for itself. So this morning, we're going to hear Paul's story and let it stand. Paul starts in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11 with his defense. He says, I want you to know, brothers... That the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. He said, I didn't just think of this. I didn't just get together and think, wow, what if we make a Jesus and we do the cross and we just come up with this story like we might come up with a script for a movie or something like that. Paul says, I, man didn't make this up. 
any person who honestly reads the Gospels or reads the New Testament, one of the first impressions you get is man couldn't make that up. It's almost too antithetical to our nature to come up with this stuff. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. He says, brothers, the gospel I preach is not something man made up. And I did not receive it from any man. He says, there was no preacher who preached to me. There was no evangelist who evangelized me. There was no apostle who baptized me. There would be later. But he said, I didn't hear it from anybody. But rather, I received it by divine revelation from Jesus Christ. These verses emphasize two important truths. First of all, the gospel didn't come from us. The church didn't make it up. I mean, no, don't, don't believe any of those conspiracy theories. And let me tell you why. It's been a long time since this has ever happened. But for the first three centuries of the church, thousands of people died for it. Now tell me, would they die for a lie? The way they died, being eaten by lions or speared through by soldiers? No. First, Paul's first point is, we didn't just make this up. This wasn't just some good thing to talk about. And of course, the second point is that the gospel he received came from God. It came directly from him. If you go to an evangelism class today, they'll talk about the three, the three parts of, of evangelism, which is one, sharing your life before uh, Christ, before you were a Christian. Two, uh, the moment you had coming to Christ. And then three, your life after Christ. And I would submit, if you don't have any sense of that, you should begin to wonder if you are truly with Christ. I don't mean that as an indictment, but I mean that to say this. Before I was a Christian, I probably would have told a lot of people, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, because I was born into it. My family, you know, had a loose affiliation with the church, and I'm sure my grandpas and great-grandpas, and you, know, and you go all the way back to, you know, wherever we were in Europe at that time, you know, it's just a, it's just a family thing. We're Christian. But there's a marked difference between that and what Paul is talking about. Someone who has that life before Christ, the moment they decide for themselves to receive Christ, and then what happens after. And I'll tell you, what's really neat is what happens after. That's when it really gets exciting as God begins to blow our minds away with what having a relationship with him is all about. So Paul goes on in the first part. He talks about his life before Christ, and he says this, in verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond my years. He says, there was achievement, and I was overachieving. I was the 4.8 GPA kid. I was advancing beyond many Jews of my own age, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Ending verse 14. These verses tell a chilling story. The story is this. Paul was perfectly happy without Christ. He had a career as a rising Jewish leader and an avid Christian hater... And he felt no remorse 
over his persecution of the followers of Christ. In fact, he regarded it as a service to Israel. He had no desire to come to Christ. He was advancing in Judaism. He had made a name for himself in Judaism. He was, he was better than all of his peers, the guys the same age as him. In every way, get this, in every way, his religion satisfied him. He saw no need for anything else. A few years ago, or a few years ago, <laughs> I wish it was a few years ago, half a century ago when I was in high school, uh, we, I remember the Campus Crusade uh, put out those shirts, you know, Bill Bright in the Campus Crusade, and remember the shirts that say, I, I found it, right? Anybody remember those? I found it. So I was, yeah, in, in the latter years of high school, I, I had actually converted to Christianity, become a true Christian, and in one of those shirts, I was like, hey, that's great, I'll, I'll take that, that's cool. Well, it didn't take long for other shirts to pop up. Does anybody remember what they said? I never lost it. Yeah, I never lost it. So here I am, I found it, you know, I, I, I found the gospel, and we had other people, I never lost it. This is the quintessential Paul right now. Paul's like, I never lost it. Was Paul interested in becoming a Christian? No. In every sense of the word, Paul was not interested at all. He wasn't looking for Christ. But Christ was looking for him. Only God could save a man like Paul. And as it turns out, that's exactly what he did. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 Tell us a little bit of Paul's life before. It says that he went from house to house in sort of a reverse evangelism, you might say, and he would knock on the door, try to find out if there were any members of this way, this sect that had begun to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. And of course, as he found them out, he would drag them out of the house, probably with guards around him. They'd be beaten, thrown in prison, some of them killed. Says that he was breathing out threats against the Lord's disciple. And then when he was on his way to Damascus, see, he had kind of done his deed in Jerusalem, probably done his deed in Samaria, probably did, you know, had a good ring around him. Now all of a sudden he's going up to Damascus, a little bit to the north, because he found that there are some Christians up there. So he is literally on his way to grab these men or women, drag them out, bring them back down, and punish them. And of course, on the way, he gets blinded by a light. And all of a sudden, a voice begins to speak and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you? Who's talking to me? Who am I persecuting? Who is this? But he doesn't just say, who are you? He says, who are you, Lord? See, he knows if you have a blinding light and it starts talking to you, the chances are it's God. <laughs> so for all of you, <laughs> if you start driving to Sacramento or L.A. and you get a blinding light and it starts talking to you, it's probably, yeah, pull over. <laughs> so he has this experience and he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Paul's got a huge problem because he just spent his career, he's made a career out of this now, of finding and bringing these people to quote-unquote justice. 
Now he's blind. He doesn't eat or drink for three days as he's led by the hand into Damascus. Boy, he intended to ride in there triumphant, right? I'm going to get these guys. I'm big bad Paul and I'm going to bring them out. Notice how he enters the city. Being led by the hand because he cannot see. And they take him to a house, to Judas's house, I believe. Not Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. See, Paul's method was the best, best way to eradicate Christianity was to kill them all, silence them all, eradicate it. But here's the thing. He wasn't what we would call a seeker. And you hear that word, you know, seeker sensitive or seeker services. Paul wasn't seeking anything. He was not a seeker. He admits this is not so. He, was, he wasn't seeking anything except to throw more Christians in prison. That's what he was seeking. He wasn't seeking Christ. He was seeking Christians so that he could persecute them. It would be hard to imagine a more hopeless case for someone actually ever becoming an evangelist. He enjoyed his life, and he wasn't looking for anything better. Paul paints the picture so black so that when the gospel comes to him, it shines even brighter. And you know, in our church today, I know some of them, I don't know all of them, but if you were to hear some of the silent histories of people who are here, both the first service and this service, you'd find out that among us, we have people who spent a considerable time in jail or prison, been involved with drugs, assault, violence, been on in all those kinds of things. In fact, if we were to have a contest in this church right now that was called Name That Sin, we would have winners in every category. I can tell you that right now. But you know what? Isn't it great to be a part of a church like that? That's a church that works. A church where no matter what you've done, you can come in here and find the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. So then we get to verse 15 in Galatians 1. And Paul begins now to talk about his conversion. He says, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the non-Jews. And that but is everything. Focus for a moment on that first word, but God. But God, I was doing fine. I wasn't seeking God. I didn't want God. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. I was hunting his people down. I was trying to eradicate this thing. But God, but God, that is the line that is the great interruption in Paul's life. I was doing my thing. Uh, da, 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 da. How many of us have that? We're going along. We're cruising. Life's great. Boom. But God. But God does something powerful, and all of a sudden you realize from that moment on, it's never going to be the same. Paul says, but God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. Paul was a sinner, but God. Paul hated Jesus, but God. Paul tried to kill Christians, but God. Paul wanted to destroy the church, but God. Paul enjoyed his life and was looking for nothing else but God. 
Paul wasn't looking for a new life or a new church or new anything but God. Paul intended to kill more Christians but God. Note the change in subjects. So far, Paul's been saying, I, 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 I advanced in Judaism. I was better than all my peers. I was hunting down those Christians. I was doing all these things. But then when he says, but God, all of a sudden the focus changes. Not to what Paul is doing, but to what God is doing. What God begins to do in Paul. God revealed his son to me at his pleasure. God showed me that he had called me from the womb. God said I was going to preach among the Jews. All of a sudden his life becomes about finding the purposes of God for his life rather than having it be filled with the word I. Notice something else. God comes into Paul's life without permission. How dare he? How dare God come in? I did not ask you to I did not. I did not want this to happen. If you'd, have, if you'd asked Paul two seconds before if he wanted that to happen, he probably would have said no. Paul, God comes into Paul's life without being asked. He didn't wait to be asked. Paul's on the road to Damascus, and Jesus just barges right into his life. He didn't ask permission because, quite frankly, perhaps if he'd asked, Paul would have said no. He came in where he wasn't wanted, and he took over the situation. But notice why he did it. Paul says, God was pleased. It was at God's pleasure. It gave God pleasure to reveal Jesus to Paul. He came in because he wanted to come in. And that's pure sovereign grace, unadulterated. As much as Lazarus was dead, Paul was lost. And you think about Lazarus. Lazarus is dead and buried in the grave for four days. He's up there in heaven enjoying God, enjoying his new body. He's flying all around. He's eating all the chocolate cake he wants. He's not getting fat. He's, I mean, he's just got this great thing going on. And all of a sudden, God comes to him and says, in a few moments, you've got to go back to earth. And Lazarus says, no, I don't want to go back to earth. And God says, but you're going to go back to earth because my son is going to call you back. No, I don't want to go back to earth. I want to stay here. Lazarus had no more say in his coming back to life than Paul did in getting saved. And so Lazarus, oh God, okay, God, how long do I have to go back there? Well, you're going to be there another 40 years. Another 40 years? Well, when Jesus goes back to earth, how long does he got to stay there? Oh, 40 days. 40 days? Come on, I'm getting the raw end of this deal here. You see, sometimes... God just does stuff, doesn't he? We don't really ask why or if it was right for him to do it because he did it. And we recognize in that moment that he doesn't need permission when he's God. Oh, sorry, I'm not done with this page. So the first thing that Paul's really saying is salvation starts from God. This whole thing, it's not something we made up. It's not from us. It begins with him. But then notice this. Paul's life after his conversion, beginning in verse 16. He says, 
I did not immediately consult any man. He says, I didn't receive it from man, and I didn't run to a person once I did receive this revelation. He says, I went into the deserts of Arabia for three years first, all by myself, to think, to reflect. Why? He knew the scriptures. One of the things you got to love about Paul, he was a trained man. When all of this happened, he took his Bible, he went out into the desert, and he put it all out, and he, he allowed the Holy Spirit to begin to teach him, disciple him, and show him just exactly who this revealed son was. And then after three years, he went up to Jerusalem. He got, he got to know Peter and James. He says again, look at this in, in, in uh, verse 18, I assure you that what I'm writing you is no lie. He really wanted people to believe him because they're th scratching their head going, didn't he just kill everybody? <laughs> he says, I, what I'm writing to you is no lie. Later I went to Syria, Cilicia. I was personally unknown. They only heard this report. This is good. Check this. Listen. Listen. listen, listen. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And check this out. Check it out. And they praised God because of me. And they praised God because of me. That hit me. Because I have to ask the question. Does anybody glorify God because of me? Me, Tom Mackey. Do I share the power of God in my life enough where people give glory to God because of what they've seen in my life? And of course, I'll pose the question to you too. Does our town give God glory because we're in it? And if it's not, and that's the challenge to us this morning. How do we glorify God in what we see him doing in one another? That will take church from being something we do as a routine and a ritual to something that is our life style. Amen? Once he hated believers... Now he seeks their fellowship. Once he hated the truth, now he lives by the truth. Once he hated the gospel, now he preaches the gospel that he was formerly trying to destroy. Once he was called Saul, now he's called Paul. Same man, new man. Once he was a terrorist, and now he's an evangelist. They glorified God because of me. Perhaps sometimes the worst sinners... Make the best saints. And what's interesting about God, God does not recruit heroes, does he? Uh, God doesn't go for the big names to populate heaven. In fact, God often does extraordinary things through quite ordinary people. Think of it this way. When God wants to recruit some frontline soldiers in his army, you know what he does? You know what he does? I'll tell you what he does. God wants some frontline soldiers in his army. So he's going to go out recruiting. 
And you know what he does is he goes into the devil's camp. And he goes and he finds the meanest, the most ornery, the most stubborn, the most loudmouth, the most uncouth, the most stingy. He finds that guy that the devil has been working on for years. And he converts him to his army. Can you imagine how frustrated the devil must live? That he works years and years and years to build up the perfect person for his cause. And then, boom, God snatches him up. It only goes to show the devil may take this long to get you there. But God only takes this long to get you out. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, now, now we get to the part where we come into the story, some of us. In Acts chapter 9, Paul is being led into the city. And he goes to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And so it says in uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 10, if you want to flip on over there. It says, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called him to a, a vision. And Ananias said, yes, Lord. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. You're going to find a man named Saul from Tarsus, and he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Paul was blinded. Now, verse 13 is so key for us. Because now Ananias is but Lord. <laughs> I mean, Paul had his but Lord. Paul is, I was living my life. I was fine. I loved it. But God was pleased to reveal his son. We got Ananias, who's Christian, living his life, loving it. And all of a sudden, Paul, this person who was his enemy, comes into the picture. And now Ananias goes, but God. Do you know who this man is? I mean, it might have been busy up there in heaven because I know a lot of people are starting to head up there now. But in case you haven't forgotten, here on earth, this man is the enemy. As if we can tell God something he doesn't already know. This is exactly what Ananias, who's a prophet, is going to find. He says, Lord... I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Now, either he's trying to tell God something he doesn't know, or he's trying to really make sure. <laughs> God, if I do this and you're wrong, it's my head. And God says to Ananias, the Lord said, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings to the people of Israel. Question on the table is this, this morning, are you a Saul or are you an Ananias? How has God interrupted your life? Whether to save you from something you never saw the need for or to send you to someone you never thought could be saved. That's the tension of this conversion story. And as we close, I'd like to show a video. Uh, this Tonight, something great is going to happen, I believe.
uh, on the History Channel, there's a, a miniseries coming out called The Bible. And I, I, I'm frustrated that it's only on cable. I really wish this could be broadcast so that everybody who has a television could see this. Uh, and, and it may be that at some point this year over the life of our church, we may do something special to watch this together and talk about it together. I don't know. I'll think about that. But we're going to watch a clip. And for those of you who have the History Channel, tonight this, uh, this show begins. And I, I've got it DVR'd, and I, I, I plan on really studying this thing because from all accounts I've seen from the previews, I think it's going to be quite good. And uh, I happen to find this clip that's going to support the ending of what we've been talking about this morning. Let's watch Paul and Ananias from the Bible miniseries. servant of the Lord. What an amazing moment it must have been to see the very presence of Jesus coming in to give you a command, to ask you to do something. Who among us wouldn't want to say yes? Yet at the same time, he's encouraging him and wanting him to go talk to Paul, who's been persecuting Christians. It had to leave him a little perplexed about that mission. But let's take a look. No, 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 no. 
as you pull in the name of Jesus Christ. That he's just chosen you to change the world in his name. Imagine being Ananias, someone who felt the wrath of Paul, the persecutor of the Christians. When I put that scene into today's context, who among us would be beyond the reach of God? Nobody. And in that scene, you saw that even Paul, the one who persecuted the believers, was not beyond the reach of God. Everyone can find the love and grace of God for salvation. What are we going to do? Change the world. really couldn't have made a better video to close out the story, huh? You know what the first words that Ananias said to Paul after he placed his hands on him and cured his blindness? That's in verse 17. And forgive me if it's not the very first thing, but see what he said? Brother Saul, Brother Saul, a few moments ago, God, don't you know this man is my enemy? Fast forward to Brother Saul. That's what it's all about. Bow your heads with me. Worship team, come forward. Before we leave here today, I think we need to respond just with a song of worship. But before we do that, we never want to close out our uh, conversations here without just giving a fresh opportunity while there's time to, to just go ahead and have that but God moment in our lives. Perhaps Jesus has been revealed to you in a fresh way this morning, and it's a but God moment. So I'd like to invite you to pray with me something very, very simple. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I ask you into my heart. I repent of my sins. I make you my God. And I've decided to follow you. And I wholeheartedly receive your spirit. If you prayed that, you're now living in the after. What God, do, God does after you've come to Christ. Amen? Let's all stand together and close the way we should.
love that's never failing fall on me everyone needs forgiveness kindness of a savior the hope of Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. The author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Take me as you find me, all my fears and failures, and fill my life again. And in my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world sing. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world sing. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. The author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. The Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save, to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave, conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. And conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Well, let's give the Lord one more shout of praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and grant you perfect peace this week in Jesus' name. Amen.
God bless you all. Have a great Sunday, and we'll see you next time, next week, same time, same place. Love you all. Take care.